far worse imprisonment. This is, this is the end of Paul's life. This book, this is it, okay? After this, he's martyred. Tradition says that he and Peter were martyred on the same day in the same place. Um, and so this is the end of Paul's life here. And he's writing to Timothy. And so, but what's happening is, is that no one's there to uh, defend him. No one's there to be by him because either the ones who would stand by him, they're too far away, or more likely is that the people who were there, they were ashamed of Paul and his chains. Now, what did he mean by that? What he meant by that is that they were too afraid that they were going to get thrown in jail as well, and so they didn't stand up for him, so he felt very alone. And he gets two men there and says, this is the ones, they, 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 they abandoned me, Right? But he says, except for Onesiphorus, he stood firm. So that's the context of this. It leads into chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, you then. Let me talk about you, Timothy. And so he drives it right towards Timothy. And in those seven verses that Wayne just read for us, uh, you have open in your copy of the Scriptures there, you'll see that there's four imperatives, okay? There's four commands. We're going we're gonna to identify those, and maybe you were able to see. So let me ask you, did, did anyone see that what the, where do you think the, the very first command is in this text here? Who, 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 you, you can speak back to me, it's okay. Where, where do you see the first command? Be strengthened or be strong, okay? Yep, okay, that'd be the first one, depending on your translation. Where do you see the second command? Where do you see the second one is? Do, do you know where the second command is? What is that? No, it comes in verse 2, and entrust to faithful men is actually the command there, okay? And then verse 3 gives us the third command, which is what? Share in suffering. And then there's one last command, and that's in verse 7, and it's to do what? Think, right? Okay, so those are the four commands in the text, okay? And if you're studying the Bible, one of the things, this is the reason I walk us through this, is because it's a really helpful thing to do is to say, okay, where are the commands at in, in the letters, okay? I'm talking specifically like the letters here in the New Testament. It's a little bit different when you get into narrative literature, you know, like in the Old Testament, things like that. Uh, you don't get that as much, but in these letters, and maybe even the Gospels uh, as well, but particularly in Paul's writings and things, whenever you see a command, that's something just to like kind of circle and highlight. So we have those four commands, and this is when Paul says to Timothy, okay, let me talk about you now. I've talked about these people. I, I, I have talked about you in the, in the beginning of chapter 1 about your faith and all this and your heritage, and it's wonderful. I show how people have been, have been departing from me, and they haven't been standing by me. They're not willing to endure. Let me go back to you now and give you these commands. And so while um, uh, the way that these imperatives are constructed, it's important to understand that the first one is the means of how the second two are enabled. Okay, so let me say it a different way. Commands number two and three are only possible because of command number one is the way it's, it's constructed, okay? So while this text is primarily towards a young pastor, that's the original context of this. He's writing to Timothy, okay? That's who he was writing to. The Bible is not written to us, but the Bible is written for us, okay? So there's no part of the Bible that was written directly to me or to you. They were written to other people in specific times. But it was all written for us, okay? And so we have here this that he's writing to Timothy. So while it's primarily directed towards Timothy, we all can learn from these principles and commands. So just because this is a, a pastoral letter to a pastor doesn't mean we cannot benefit from this if we're not pastors here. So let me give you a summary statement of where I think we're going to go with this, okay? And, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Uh, we have two main points today. So here's, here's the summary statement. God's grace will strengthen us to teach others and suffer for Christ, Okay?
I think that's what this text is saying here. I believe it after studying it that is that God's grace will strengthen us to teach others and suffer for Christ. Let me pray, ask God's blessing, and then we'll unpack that a little bit. Father, I do pray that uh, these next few minutes will be guided by your Spirit. Lord, you have caused all scriptures to be written for our learning. Lord, grant to us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of the everlasting life which you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would guide this time as I have the, the, the privilege of speaking here for the next few minutes. Lord, I, 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 I want to communicate what this text says and nothing else. And so I pray that you give me uh, good communication skills and clarity of thought and that uh, this would be, uh, what I say would be accurate to this text and would be clear and helpful. Lord, we pray for those who are listening, whether online or here in person. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, there would be a time of, of really looking at this text and your spirit using it to apply it to their own personal lives as they need. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right, so God's grace will strengthen us to teach others and suffer for Christ. So point number one is strong Christians pass along the gospel message. Now, how do I see this? Well, in verse 2, at verse 1, he says, my son or my child be strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus. I've already said that that is the way it's written. It's saying this is how the rest of it's going to be enabled here, okay? And so um, we have this, this in verse 2, it says, what you've heard from me, the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This word entrust has come up a few times. Uh, Pastor Michael pointed out last week, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 14, we see this concept of entrusting throughout uh, Paul's writings, particularly to Timothy here in both books. And here in this context here, what he's saying is he's saying, with the message that you've received from me, the message that has been entrusted to me and I've passed it on to you and entrusted to you and given to you, here's what you need to do, Timothy. You need to entrust it to other people. You need to give it to the next generation, and you need to find, and the criteria was really twofold, a faithful person and one who could teach. He said, focus on those people. Focus on the people, and again, this is a pastoral directive to a young pastor. He's saying, find faithful people in your congregation there in the church of Ephesus, and what I want you to do is the ones who you think that they can teach others also, spend time with them. Give them the gospel. Make sure they understand what, uh, what, the, what the Scripture says in the gospel message here. And so, and, and again, this is like what he's saying. You're strengthened by grace. This is what you're supposed to do, okay? So a strong Christian is someone who's going to prioritize passing along the gospel message. And let me put it another way. A strong Christian is going to ensure that the gospel message doesn't die with them. One of the things I loved about today's Bible and Breakfast Hour interview was, you know, Violet talked about how she grew up in church, you know, much like me and things like that. But when she was asked about who the most influential people in her life was, and, you know, I was notably absent from that list. Um, but when she talked about that, she talked about her family, grandparents, right? She talked about other individuals as well, teachers and things like that, friends. But this idea of then Violet, the person who we interviewed today, I mean, this is like three generations in our church, okay? 
And we have that. It's being passed on from one generation to the other. That's what God wants us to do. Don't make sure that the gospel message that you have been given, that's been trusted to you, it doesn't die with your generation. And, and, and listen, every church is one generation away from extinction, right? And so this is why we have children's programs. This is why we prioritize. This is why we try to equip parents to net, because they're the primary people who are responsible for, for teaching the children here as the parents. And so we try to equip parents of this, and we try to have programs that come alongside that and stuff like that. And so a strong Christian is going to pass along the gospel message, and Paul here is saying to me, he says, listen, I want to, you need to entrust this message. I've entrusted it to you. It's been entrusted to me. I've entrusted you. Now you entrust it to faithful men who will do, be able to do that for other people as well. That's the plan. That's the strategy. That's how God set this up. He didn't set this up in any other way. He didn't have, you know, massive technology things and stuff like that. Not that technology's wrong, but he didn't have angelic visions and things like this that is the primary means of, of passing along the message. No, what he says is this strategy right here. You tell, someone's told you about the gospel, now you tell other people, and then they'll tell someone else, and they'll tell someone else. That's the strategy here. And so if we're a Christian, if we've signed it out of line, so to speak, and said, yeah, I want to be a follower of Christ, well, then that's our responsibility. And that's what he's telling this young pastor here is to say, make sure you prioritize that in your ministry and in the church that you're prioritizing this. So remember the mass of 2022 we're talking about? Well, this is the multiplication, right? This is the times symbol. This is the multiplication that we're talking about is that we need to be a church that is multiplying disciples, what is a disciple? The word simply means a follower or a learner, okay? And so we just need to be people who are, are, follow, are, are, are encouraging other people to follow Christ and we're trusting them with the gospel message. But it's not always easy. Sometimes it's, it's difficult. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of what people are going to say or, or we're, we're afraid of rejection or it's a, increasingly as the days and years go on and decades go on, um, it's becoming a more and more unpopular message in our culture. But that doesn't change the responsibility that we have. I, I read a story uh, this week um, about uh, during the Revolutionary War, the year was 1781, um, there's Patriot General uh, Nathaniel Green. He had crossed a broad river, and he needed to send a message back to General Thomas Sumter asking him to join an attack. Now, this was in South Carolina, and South Carolina had uh, high levels of support for the loyalist cause during his time, so making this transmission of the message extraordinarily difficult and dangerous. And so they're trying to figure out how do we get this message from where we're at back to reinforcements to join the attack, and so they're trying to figure out how they could do that because they were in enemy territory so much. An 18-year-old girl named Emily Geiger volunteered to deliver the message on behalf of General Nathaniel Green. Maybe some of you have heard this story. The general was both surprised and delighted that she would volunteer to do this, and so he agreed after some convincing, but agreed to let her do this. And so he wrote the letter and gave it to Geiger, gave it to Emily. And at the same time, he either the stories that I read in this conflicted, either he told it to her verbally or he had to read it. I'm not sure which one. There was conflicting accounts on this. But either way, she either read it or it was told to her. She takes the message, she hides it on her person, she starts riding, and she was going under the pretense of going to visit an uncle that she did have in that area. Well, as you can imagine, probably as she was uh, going uh, on her journey in the second day, loyal scouts intercepted her, they suspected her of working for the Patriot cause. She was arrested and detained at Fort Granby. Um, since uh, she was a woman, they didn't want to search her uh, as being men soldiers, so they waited for uh, another woman to come and search her. 
And during that time, while she was waiting, she tore the message up into itty-bitty little pieces, ate them, swallowed them, so that she would not have it found. Uh, they come in, the lady finally shows up, searches her, finds nothing. Eventually, they let her go, and she goes on, and she delivers the message because she had memorized it, and she communicated that message to the, the, the troops that need to be communicated to. Now, that story is interesting because here we have this young girl who took on a very dangerous mission, and she was willing to adapt, and she was willing to uh, uh, take the risk, and she was willing to, uh, uh, you know, do whatever it needed to take to get that message across. Now, how, that was an important message for her to communicate, but how much more so is the important message of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, this is the message that's been entrusted to us. Are we so willing to take risk, or are we so willing to adapt and, 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 and adapt a strategy for whatever needs to happen, like Emily was with this war effort? And again, I'm not minimizing what Emily did. That was, that's, a, that's a great example to us. But when I look at that, and I think, okay, we've been entrusted a matter of eternity, the message of eternity here, that people need to hear the gospel message. We need to tell people. And so this is what he's telling, Timothy's telling, he says, listen, you, I'm turning my attention to you now. He goes, I want you to make sure that this is the priority of your ministry, that you're teaching people who can teach others also. This is one of the reasons why uh, Wayne and I uh, are teaching uh, pastors in India, okay? Uh, and we do this through Zoom. It's because we're trying to impart whatever things that we have and that God's graciously given to us, and we try to give it to other people who did not have access to the same type of experiences and education and things that we've had. This is one of the reasons why in my day off, I teach over at Karis, right? Because I'm trying to teach the, the next generation of, you know, entrusting them with the gospel message so that they can then grow and then teach others also. This is the reason why we have the ministers that we have. And so let me just encourage you to think through this, internalize this, that strong Christians are ones who pass along the gospel message. So, here's the question for you to ponder right now. Here's the question. Do you truly believe that the gospel is so important that it needs to be passed on along at any cost? Do you truly believe that? That, that at any cost, whatever it takes, the message of Jesus Christ dying is so important that whatever the cost, it's worth it. Something to ponder, because theologically, in Sunday school-ish answer, you're like, yeah, yeah, of course it is. No, I want you to think about that for a second. Think about the ramifications of that. I mean, when Emily jumped on that horseback, she was saying, I could die for this message. And she was willing to do that. Hero. Are we willing to do that for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we, is the gospel message that important to us that at any means necessary, we're going to communicate that, even if it means loss of reputation, even if it means loss of freedom, even if it means loss of life, we are going to communicate this message. One of the things that I saw a video, maybe you've seen this before, of people getting a copy of the scriptures that they've never seen before had in their own language. I've seen video of people with tears and kissing the Scriptures because they've only been told that they never had a copy of the Scriptures available to them, and finally it was available to them, and it was just this wonderful thing for them because they live in an area where it was oppressed. 
Do we have that same view towards the gospel message? So don't let the gospel die with you. So one of the a real practical ways is, you know, pray for teachers to come out of our church. Pray for preachers and missionaries to come out of our church here. Pass along what you know, okay? Don't feel like you have to have certain levels of theological knowledge in order to do this, okay? Pass along what you know. Still be learning. Always be learning, right? But pass along what you know. Think about it this way. Most future preachers and teachers of God's Word, they, are, they, are, they were first introduced to the gospel by non-vocationally uh, uh, people, uh, uh, preachers or teachers. It was parents. It was grandparents. It was a Sunday school teacher. It was uh, a, a friend or someone that just passed along what they knew. This is how most people start out understanding the gospel. So it doesn't take someone with a certain level of training or something like that to simply pass on what you know. The gospel was, is so complex that theologians can study it for their entire lives and not mind all the depths of it. But yet, but yet, it is so simple that children can understand it and believe and follow Jesus Christ. Just pass along what you know. Strong Christians pass along the gospel. Let me move to the second point. Here's the second point. Second point is this, strong Christians endure suffering for the gospel. So they, they're, they're, they're passing along the gospel that we see this in verse 2, right? I hope you see it in the text there. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many ways, and trust the faithful men, okay? Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so here we have the third command of our text. He says, I want you to share in the suffering. Again, this isn't a new concept. Paul's already talked about this in the first chapter. Mainly he's talked about the people who weren't willing to suffer, but, uh, but he, this is a concept, and it was fresh in Paul's mind. Why was it fresh in Paul's mind? Well, because he was sitting in the jail cell, all right? And it was a, not a comfortable situation at all. And so this idea of suffering, Paul, he went through lots of suffering for Christ. We read Hebrews chapter 11, you can see people who suffered for Christ. And then here, he's telling Timothy, this young pastor, remember, one of the things, that there's a few things we talked about Timothy a couple weeks ago, was that he was a young pastor, he had poor health, right? And he was timid in nature. Those were the th- three things that we kind of know about Timothy. And those three things will be all reasons why P- Timothy might be saying, yeah, this, this isn't for me. But Timothy, excuse me, Paul is saying to Timothy, I know you're young. I want you to share in suffering anyway. I know you're timid, but I want you to share in the suffering anyway. I know you have poor health. I want you to share in the suffering anyway. And it wasn't because Paul just wanted Timothy to have the worst life and pain and things like that. He wasn't a masochist. It was because he understood that to give the gospel, we have to be willing to suffer. And so, uh, remember, this is all flowing from that first command, be strengthened in verse 1, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so the command here is to endure suffering. Paul here, as I mentioned, he's dealing with people being ashamed of him. And the gospel message, they're turning away from him. He had to literally give his own defense because no one was around to give him the defense. And if those who might have been willing were too far away. And so to, to illustrate this, Paul, he walks us through in the next couple of verses three illustrations, okay? He walks us through three illustrations to talk about this idea of what it means to suffer. And he introduces the first one right here in verse 3 when he talks about a soldier. Maybe you picked up on that when we read it. He says, in share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then he continues that, verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
really there's a couple things that's going on here. What Paul does is he uses these three illustrations to highlight what it means to be a person who's given the gospel, right, and willing to suffer for it. The first one is that there's someone that has the priority of mission. You know, in the soldier, it says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. The idea there is he's saying the soldier is not worried about anything else. He is focused on his mission as a soldier. He's not wondering about the stock market, okay? If you have soldiers that are on the front lines fighting for your country, you hope that they're not checking Facebook often, okay? Right? You hope they're not just going through Wordle and see if they can find out, right? How many of you playing Wordle right now? Anyone? No one knows about this? Okay. My wife and I are the only nerds. Okay. So, um, so uh, you know, whatever the case is, you, know, you don't want your, uh, uh, your, uh, uh, your soldiers being distracted, right? This is what he's saying. Focus on mission. They're not getting distracted by anything. This is how we suffer. This is how we give the gospel, right? It's a focus on mission. Why are we here? Why are you breathing right now? What is your purpose in life? Really, and, and someday we all have the same purpose. We have different avenues to complete that purpose, but we all have the same purpose. It's glorify God. And while we're here, we glorify God by making disciples, by telling other people about Christ. Now, we have different ways to do it. You do it through your vocation, your hobbies, and those are different than mine. And that's how God is so in such a variety, God of variety. But in, at the core, it's the same purpose that God's given to us. And so he says, a soldier, priority of mission. Later on in chapter 4, he's going to talk about Demas. He's going to talk about Demas. He says, Demas has forsaken me because he's loved this present world. Okay? These are the, he's, he's had people that were so focused on the gospel, but then they got distracted by other things in the world, other cares in the world, and they went away. Demas is one of those. Do you see that in chapter 4? Here, he's saying, if you want to suffer well, if you want to give the gospel, you've got to be like a soldier with this laser focus on mission. Okay. So I've already given you that in this sermon how we have the multiplication part of the math of 2022. Which one's this one? This is subtraction, isn't it? Right? This is subtraction. What's distracting us from the mission? What's distracting us? When, when a soldier gets on the front lines and he's going into battle, he's got to remove all distractions. We have to have that mentality. Again, I'm not saying that entertainment's wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, all those type of things that we do in our free time is wrong. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But the point is that those things just can't distract us from what we're supposed to be doing with the totality of our lives. This is also, he noticed in there, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Did you check that out? Did you, did you notice that? In verse 4 there, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It's not only a priority of mission, but it's a priority of whom he is to please, right? He's supposed to please the one who enlisted him, right? And so for that, that's, that's Jesus, that's God, right? And so our goal, our aim is to please God with all of our lives. So it, it, we say, okay, here's what we should do. We're to be strengthened by the grace of God. That's going to be manifest in telling other people and ability to suffer well. How, does, how do we get there? He says, well, be like a soldier. Priority of mission and priority of who your commanding officer is. If we keep those two things in laser focus all the time, all of a sudden we're realizing we're here and existing to please God, not our spouse. We're here to please God, not our children, or not uh, authority or anything else. Of course, we do want to get along with all those relationships. Don't misunderstand me. But the point is the 
that our ultimate authority is God. And He sets the tone, and He sets the rules, and we march to His orders. Not culture, not family tradition, not expectations of anyone else, but what God has for us. You see that this is the illustration that Paul's given here. He says, listen, be strengthened and trust the message. Suffer well. You do this by being a soldier who has priority of mission, removing distractions, priority of whom to please. But he, he gives a second uh, illustration there, and that is an athlete. Verse 5, an athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He says, okay, now we're going to move to an athlete uh, metaphor here. He's not, he doesn't get a crown unless he competes, uh, competes by the rules. This is the idea of discipline here. If we're going to be people who entrust the gospel to other people, if we're going to be people who suffer well, strengthened by the grace of God, we've got to have the discipline of an athlete. We've got to say no to stuff. We've got to be able to uh, uh, focus on what we're supposed to do. And then he even talks about those rules of discipleship here. You've got to compete according to the rules. Now, a lot of times you say, well, what's an application of that? Well, think about it this way. Sometimes we want the reward without the process. You ever met someone like that? I mean, they, they want to be the world-class cellist like Yo-Yo Ma, but they don't want to practice for 10 minutes a day, okay? They want to be the best, you know, uh, baseball player, but they're never taking batting practice, they don't want to listen to coaches, okay? You know, someone like that is like, you're not going to get crowned because the rules of discipleship, you know, mean that you, you got to go through the process. But also then the, the, you can't cheat in the game either. There's also a rule with this because the, what this might be referring to, theologians and, and, and scholars, when I was reading on this, it could either be the rules of the game, but also there was a 10-month uh, mandatory training period for the Olympians then. That they had, because they wanted to keep the integrity of the games high. And so they said that you had to train for at least 10 months solid before competing. You had to put the work in. And that's what they think that he's referring to here, is that you're not going to get crowned unless you put the work in, okay? The same thing is true in the Christian life, is that, you know, we want the maturity sometimes and the wisdom and stuff like that, but if we're not reading our Bibles, or we're not dealing with the difficulty that comes along with us, it's not gonna get, we're not going to get there. Sometimes people look at church this way. They want, they want the, the benefits of church and the beauty of it. And one of the things I loved again about Violet's testimony today is how church, as she's grown, has become more of a family to her. Okay? That's a great testimony. All right? But in order for that to happen, you've got you to gotta be there, number one, and engage. But also, you've got to understand that sometimes there's some bad with the good, Right? I mean, it's not, you got to endure some of the bad stuff, right? We're, we're, we're a church that's made up of sinners. There's going to be times where things happen that we don't like, right? And so, in order to compete by the rules here, we got to be disciplined and keep our laser focus of the soldier, disciplined of an athlete. I need to move on. He gives one more illustration here. You see it in the text there. In verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Obviously, the characteristic of the farmer is explicitly given there is his hard work, his work ethic here. I've never been a farmer, um, but from what I can understand and from all the farmer friends that I've had who have told me uh, about what it's like, uh, farming is endless 
And it's not very glamorous, but it's crucial for our existence. Roger, would you agree with that? Roger was a farmer, okay? It's endless, not very glamorous, but it's crucial for our existence, okay? I think that's a great metaphor that Paul chooses here by the inspiration of the Spirit of God to give to us that if we're going to be strengthened by the grace of God, okay, which is going to manifest itself in entrusting others the gospel, being willing to give the gospel, and then also being willing to endure suffering, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard work. Now you say, well, why did he put this thing in there about um, a farmer ought to have the first share of the crops? What's he talking about there? Why did he insert that in there? Well, here's what I think the reason why I did that is because sometimes Paul received compensation for his work in the gospel ministry and sometimes he didn't. I think he's communicating to Timothy here, it's okay to be remunerated for your work in the gospel ministry. I think that's what he's communicating here because that's a theme that Paul talks about in other places here. He says it's okay. It's okay to, to receive. Sometimes Paul received uh, compensation for that. Sometimes he didn't. Um, it depended on the circumstances. And I think he was probably trying to tell Timothy here, it's okay. Don't feel like you have to always say no. Um, but the real main point here is this a hard-working farmer. So these are the illustrations that he's given here. He says, okay, you're going to have to endure suffering. I want you to share in this. It's going to be like a soldier, laser focus. Laser focus on your mission priority and on who you're supposed to be serving. It's going to require subtraction, subtract those distractions. Secondly, be like the athlete, discipline, okay? Strong discipline. Compete by the rules. Understand that you've got to train. You're going to have to be disciplined on this. Thirdly, the farmer, very similar, but it's going to be hard work, and it's going to seem endless, and it's not very glamorous, okay? Most of the Christian life is not up in front of people. It's in the quietness of your own home and in making decisions and battling internally and things like this. He says it's hard work. It's not very glamorous. It's endless, but it's crucial to your existence. So how do we apply this as we circle the plane now for a landing here? Um, the Christian life isn't easy, but it's worth it, okay? That's what I want to communicate. The Christian life isn't easy, but it's worth it. Some of you may be familiar with Jim Elliott, who was a missionary who lost his life early. He's probably most famous for this quote right here. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Okay, he's probably most famous for that quote there. Uh, he was a young man that uh, was, was killed by the people that he was trying to give the gospel to, he and his missions team. Uh, this was in the 50s. Uh, some of you may remember that when that happened, okay? Um, but Jim Elliott, I'm reading a book right now uh, written by his wife, which is uh, primarily all journal entries and things like that. So it's a real fascinating read. It's called The Shadow of the Almighty, if you're interested. That's probably his most famous quote, which I think is great. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's basically saying, listen, if I give my life, which I'm going to lose anyway, I can't keep it forever. But to gain what I cannot lose is eternity with Christ. I'm not a fool for that. There's another quote in the book that I'm reading, though, that I want to share that's not as common, uh, uh, well-known, but here's what it is, a little bit longer. He said this right before he was getting ready to go to the field. He had gone through um, periods of almost depression a little bit because he, he just wanted to get to the mission field while I was going through his college years. He was probably about 19 years old or so, maybe 20 when he wrote this. The sheer joy of being in the will of God and in the knowledge of his direction heretofore is my general experience now. God has been in our going to now, and if life were to end at this point, I feel I could say with Simeon, 
Now let thy servant depart in peace. This was like a 19 or 20-year-old guy writing this that he had just seen in his preparation and, and um, just how God had been providing. And it wasn't always easy. He was frustrated at times. He was frustrated with going to school. He felt that he was wasting time. He wanted to get to the mission field, but he disciplined himself to go to school, get the training he needed to. And then right before he's getting ready to leave, this is what he says. He writes this in a journal to uh, the, eventually who becomes his wife. The joy of being in the will of God he just understood that that's, that was the experience. And it was joy. And it was so much that he said, you know, even if I die today, I could say, let me depart in peace. Quoting Simeon, the one who held the baby Jesus, and that many, many years ago, when he says, okay, I've seen the Messiah. Let thy servant depart in peace. You know, when we follow Christ, when we're strengthened by his grace, we can have this sentiment here. We can have this sense of, you know, I'm entrusting people, and whether or not, or I'm trying to, whether or not they receive it, and I'm enduring suffering, it's not easy. I can have joy. I can have true joy. The Christian life isn't easy, but it's worth it. So, here's a summary statement here. When we endure through the focus of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, and hard work of a farmer, all strengthened by God's grace. So, we endure through the focus of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, and the hard work of a farmer, all strengthened by God's grace. So how do we get there? In closing, verse 7, think over what I say. This idea is reflective. It's, it's the uh, meaning that they're supposed to be ref- he's supposed to reflect on us. It's an imperative. It's written in the present tense. We're saying keep thinking, keep reflecting about these things. Don't stop doing it. You need to keep mulling this over. So to ask yourself tough questions. And so I think that this is what he's telling Timothy to do. And we need to take the same thing. So ask yourself, am I willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Think through the ramifications of that. Am I willing to do that? What am I willing to subtract to have the athlete's laser focus in Paul's illustration? That's a question you may need to think through. What should I be, what is really distracting me from this laser focus of the athlete that Paul is talking about here? How am I taking part in the multiplication of disciples, like two, 2 Timothy 2 2 commands? You see, these are all questions that we need to ponder, we need to think through. It's not just something, okay, you sat, you listened to me talk for uh, 37 and a half minutes now, okay, I got a timer, okay, all right, and so you've listened to me talk, you know, for 37 and a half minutes now, and, uh, you know, now you, you just move on with your life. No, 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 no. Think about these things, okay? This is the command. But then there's a second part. But the Lord, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Did you notice that? So we have both man's responsibility and God's gracious enablement right here in this whole text here. He says, you got to do this. This is, you have to do this. Don't just say, okay, well, God's just going to just supernaturally give this to me. No, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to work hard. You've got to make those decisions. But in the end, it's also God's grace that's strengthening us. And he will give you understanding. So... Strong Christian, I've used that term very intentionally with those two points. You may be saying, okay, I'm just not a strong Christian, or what is a strong Christian? Strong Christian does not mean you have a theological degree or a certain IQ. Anyone can pass along the gospel and endure suffering for Jesus' sake. 
That's what a strong Christian is, someone who says, I, I, I've been taught this, I'm going to pass it on. And I don't care what people say, I don't care what people do, I'm just going to pass along the gospel message. That's the criteria. It's not certain amounts of degrees or IQs. 